Thank God for our mamas. Happy Mother's Day to all of our lovely moms and mother figures out there. And to my own mom, who is undoubtedly listening to this sermon through the podcast, Amma, I just want to say thank you so much for carrying me into this world and for giving it your all and raising your daughters. We love you so, so much. Here's a photo of my mom and I, and that's actually me and my dad right next to her. I think we were going on a hike somewhere. You know, you look at that photo and you think, wow, look at Mama Lee. She looks so sweet and so gentle. But don't be fooled, y'all. No, 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 no. Mama Lee is not one to be messed with. You do not want to cross her wrong. She is a woman who loves and protects her family fiercely. I remember growing up, we would often go to the grocery store, and on the way back home, she would just pull over on the side of the road and send me out of the car uh, with groceries in hand to share with the people who were living out on the streets in our neighborhood. It was just so important for my mom that her kids grew up with the value uh, of, of generosity and to live open-handedly. And there were often times where we would actually be at the grocery store or running errands, and people would look at my mom, and they would misjudge her very quickly to be this very shy, quiet, non-English speaking Asian lady who doesn't really know what's going on. And honestly, when they crossed her wrong, I felt so bad for them because my mom would always, she would dig her heels into the ground, especially when anyone would discriminate against her or her kids or say a racist remark. And she would demand that they apologize, not only to her, but to her daughters too, because we were with an earshot of what had just happened. And I'm not going to lie, y'all, when that would happen, my sisters and I, we were terrified, we were embarrassed. I don't think we really understood at the time, but now looking back, I have mad respect for my mom. And I also learned a lot about my faith from my home, too. Uh, If you... You may know this for those of you who are Korean uh, or who are familiar with the Korean church, but Korean Christians are known for their prayer culture. Every single Korean Christian church, like you're not a Korean Christian church unless you have early morning prayer. Now, what is EMP, you may ask? Early morning prayer is, uh, it happens every single day during the week at 5.45 a.m. The pastor gets up, the church people get up, and they show up at the church at 5.45 to sing hymns, to read scripture, and to pray before the sun is even out. It is insane, y'all. And my mom and dad would go to early morning prayer frequently, and occasionally they would also host these um, evening prayer meetings at our house. And it's so bad because my sisters and I and, you know, our friends, we would be making fun of the parents in the other room because they had this thing that they would do where they all count down from three. They go three, two, one. And then in Korean, they all shout in a loud voice, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And then they just go hard after the presence of God. And they're like crying, sobbing. They're praying really loud loud and passionately. Some of them are speaking in tongue, and it's just wild. And I'm not going to lie, I would low-key be stressed in the other room thinking like, oh my gosh, our neighbors are going to hear us, and they're going to think that we're crazy. I hope they don't call the cops. But to be honest, I feel like looking back now at uh, prayer, where it's gone from then to now, I feel like in my generation, it's kind of gone to the other side of the spectrum, where our prayers have become too safe, too predictable, too mundane. 
It's always, you know, like, dear God, please bless this food. Dear God, please keep me safe. Dear God, please help me find a parking spot. And if you take out all of the, dear God, please bless this and bless that. Dear God, please be with me and be with thumbs. There would really not be very much else to say. And then there's also like this strange thing of like prayer envy. You know what I'm talking about? Like when you're at church or in a prayer meeting and then someone goes up to pray and it's just like so beautiful, so well worded, like ying. You know, it's just like so poetic and eloquent and you just feel like it's like chicken soup for the soul. And then when he's done and you're just like fully immersed in the presence of God and like bam, In comes this next guy, Dan, with all the scripture. He's just like quoting scripture left and right. He like opens up the Bible and he's like, in Psalm 23 it says, and he's just quoting scripture in the middle of his prayer. And you can't help but think like, dang, this guy, he really knows his Bible. And it's just like so powerful and you just feel like the angels are like hanging over the rails of heaven, so excited to hear this man pray. And then when he wraps it up and it's your turn, you're like, oh my gosh, I gotta go. And you just start like babbling. You're just going. You're just going and going, kind of almost on autopilot. And as you're praying, you just feel like the presence of God is slowly slipping away. And you notice like, hmm, how come no one is saying amen to what I'm praying? That's interesting. And then you eventually, you're just like, dang, God, are you bored? Like, knock, knock, is anyone there? Y'all feel me on this? Or am I the only one who feels this way? You know, what I want to ask us today is this. Who taught you how to pray? Has anyone provided for you a positive, life-changing model of prayer? Do you feel like your prayers are effective? Do you understand the purpose of your prayer? And is it working for you? You know, most of us struggle to feel satisfied in our prayer lives, unfortunately. But the truth is this. The reality and the promises of prayer and the power behind it are all true, but rarely do we experience them. And we get discouraged. We grow impatient. And we lose heart, especially when we feel like we've been left on read by God. You know, when you, like, pray for something for a very, very long time, and it just feels like God isn't coming through. So this is what's going to happen today. I want to talk to us today about the importance of persistence. And I know that Mickey touched on this a little bit last week, but I really want to hone in on this uh, principle because I believe that God is calling us to be a generation that prays without ceasing. Jesus doesn't call the church a house of preaching or a house of singing or a house of giving or a house of belonging. No, Jesus calls the church a house of prayer. And I believe that God is stirring us up during this point in time to pick up that identity once again as a house of prayer and to walk in its power and its anointing. Amen? All right, before we get into scripture, would you just join me in inviting God uh, to be with us as we talk about this thing that is so important to him? Let's pray. God, we just thank you so much for giving us the ability to communicate with you. Jesus, we thank you that through your blood, through your sacrifice, through your love, you have given us the ability to have access to the ear of heaven. God, we pray that we would never take this reality for granted. And we pray, Father, that you would be among us. Would you stir our hearts once again to pray, Father, to pick up the cry to pray again. 
in your presence, fully believing that you are listening and that you have more for us than we know. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Awesome. I want to turn our attention to a few different places in Scripture uh, where people were seemingly left on read by God, but because they knew they had something worth asking, worth fighting for, they pushed past the sound barrier of what was considered normal. Um, they pushed past social protocol and even religious rules to reach out to God. And so we'll start off by going into Mark 10 um, in the story of Bartimaeus. Now, Bartimaeus is a blind man who's living out on the streets. And as he's out on the streets, he hears that Jesus is in town, but that he's actually heading out of town and he's going to go to the next one. And so Bartimaeus, hearing about Jesus in his desperation, he starts to cry out in a loud voice, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And scripture says that as he's crying out, the crowd around him starts to get bothered. And so they try to silence him, and they're threatening him and telling him to be quiet. But Bartimaeus, this stirs him up even more. And he knows that the people are not on his side. And so he cries even louder. He says, son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. And he's just crying this persistent cry from where he is. And this gets Jesus' attention. He stops in his tracks and he hears Bartimaeus and he has this blind man brought over to him. And when Bartimaeus is standing right in front of Jesus, Jesus looks him in the eye and asks him this question. What do you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus says, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And it's at that moment that Jesus looks at Bartimaeus and says, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And he heals Bar Bartimaeus' sight immediately on the spot. And when Bartimaeus opens his eyes, he sees the back of Jesus because Jesus is already heading out of town. And though Jesus has dismissed Bartimaeus and said, go your way, it's, Scripture says and ends the story by saying that Bartimaeus followed Jesus on his way. And in the next story, we look in Matthew 15 at the story of the Canaanite woman. Now, she has a daughter who is ill. She's actually oppressed by a demon. And so she goes to Jesus, and she cries out to him, Have mercy on me. And verse 23 says that Jesus did not answer her a word. He gave her the silent treatment, y'all. And Jesus' disciples, seeing all this, they start feeling bothered by the situation. And so they're just begging Jesus, Lord, just send her away. Send her away, God. Just send her away. And as they're begging Jesus to send her away, uh, this woman, she falls on her knees right in front of Jesus. And she's kneeling before him. And she says, Lord, help me. And I think Jesus clearly recognizes that there's something deeper to this woman and deeper to her faith than meets the eye. And so he then invites her into what I call the arena of daring and of bold faith. He looks her in the eye and he challenges her. He says, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Whoo! You guys, Jesus, he is a salve, y'all. He looks this woman in the eye. I mean, think about it. If you were in this woman's position and you go to Jesus with a, a request and you're asking him for his help and he looks you in the eye and he says, you a dog. Honestly, 
I feel like majority of us would be like, all right, I'm a head out. You would be on your way out. You would have your tail between your legs, crying, sobbing, leaving, or super offended, just like, whatever, screw this. But this woman, she is a salve, y'all. She looks Jesus in the eye, and she responds and says, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Mike, drop Hashtag thug life. This woman is crazy. And Jesus answers her and says, woman, exclamation point. Great is your faith, exclamation point. He is so excited. And he says, be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. If you look at these two stories, both Bartimaeus and the Canaanite woman knew that they had something worth asking and worth fighting for, and they persisted despite being shut down and silenced. Now, if you look at Luke 18, Jesus himself teaches on this principle in the parable of the persistent widow. Now, in this story, he talks about There's this judge, and this judge is a wicked judge who has no concern for justice. And there's this woman, who, this widow, who comes up to him and says, get justice for me against my adversary. And he refuses, but she comes back up to him and says, get justice for me against my adversary. And he's like, no, go away. And then he works done for him, and he starts heading home. He, like, is walking on the road trying to put in his ancient AirPods, and this woman is walking in lockstep with him saying get justice for me against my adversary and he's like no and he goes home and he's trying to eat dinner at the table and like catch some like ben-hur on tv or something and this woman is like get justice for me against my adversary and he's like no leave me alone he's trying to sleep and he's in his bed but this woman's like knocking on the door get justice for me against my adversary and he's just so over he says enough and in scripture it says that he says Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down with her continual coming. An important thing to notice, too, about this scripture is in Luke 18, the first verse, Jesus says that he's telling the story to remind the listener that we ought always pray and to not lose heart. And so in this story, Jesus presents a lesser to greater argument, saying that if this wicked judge, the lesser, who has no concern for justice, uh, is willing to give justice to this widow, this woman, will not God, the greater, give justice to those who cry to him day and night? And what Jesus is highlighting here isn't that we should put all of our hope and our confidence in the fact that we can just wear God down and squeeze his arm into answering our prayers, but our confidence should be found in the truth and the reality that God loves the prayers of his sons and his daughters. Scripture says that the prayers of the saints rise like incense to the throne room of God. It's just such a fragrant aroma to him. And if you look deeper into this prayer from the parable, get justice for me. It is one of the most powerful prayers that a child of God could pray as a believer. Pastor Bob Sorge explains it this way. He says that when we cry out to God for justice, we are asking for two things. One, we're seeking restoration. And two, restitution. 
Now, restoration is something that many of us are familiar with. It's asking for the recovery of what was once lost. But restitution is speaking to the amount of time that was lost. Restitution is essentially saying that recovery of what was lost is no longer enough. I think for many of us, we felt that very much this past week when we followed the story of Ahmad Aubrey. It took two whole months and the attention of a million people, the cry of a million people to get justice for Ahmad Aubrey, to get his murders arrested. And I think for many of us, we just had this sense that that's not enough. That isn't enough. And so church, when you pray for something for a long time, don't just ask for restoration. Seek restitution. This is so important, and it's really, it's just so important that we hear this and we know this deep in our hearts as sons and daughters of God. God has more for you than you have for yourself. I want someone to put it in the chat right now in exclamation points, God's got more. Pastor Bob Sorge, he puts it this way, the wilderness changes what we ask for. If you look in Joshua 14, the story of Joshua and Caleb, Caleb, this man, he was ready to enter into the promised land when nobody else was, when everyone else was shaking in their boots saying, no, we can't go in there. Caleb told everyone, no, we can go in there. I trust in God and he's going to give us the promised land. But because of the lack of belief, the unbelief of the people, Caleb himself had to wait 40 years before entering into the promised land. And then after 40 years have passed, Caleb is an 85 year old man. And as they're in the promised land and they're divvying up the land for the Israelites, Joshua and the priests are giving them like, you know, this guy, he gets a house in a field. This guy, he gets a house in a field. This guy, he gets a house on a wall along the wall. But when it's Caleb's turn and he's at the front of the line, he looks at the priests and Joshua square in the face. And do you think for him that a house in a field was enough? He was an 85-year-old man at this time, and he was ready 40 years ago to enter in this land. He looks them square in the face and he says, give me that mountain. And he takes a whole freaking mountain. And here's the thing. When you endure in faith, no one will challenge you when you do the time. Pastor Bob Sorge says that there are realms of authority in the kingdom of God that require you to do the time and to persist, to seek justice, restoration, and restitution. And so I want to end today with a few takeaways, um, starting with this. Jesus gives more to the desperate. God isn't looking for polite prayers or neatly wrapped words that we send up to him. He's looking for persistent and prevailing prayers. If you look at Bartimaeus, the Canaanite woman, the widow, and so many more examples and stories throughout scripture, God is showing us that he cares less about form and more about heart. He doesn't care about religious rules or social protocol or the things that we create around prayer ourselves. If you look at Jesus, he very often broke these rules himself. 
And no matter the circumstance, the difficulty, or the pressures of life, when life seems to fall apart or you can't feel the pressure of God, when you feel overlooked, you feel rejected, attacked, or alone, it's in that hour that we need to stand firm in the knowledge of who God is and who we are to him. Number two, silence reveals our hearts. When we feel like we've been left on red, what is our response? What do we do? Do we grow offended and back off? Or does the silence produce even more faith, even more prayer, and even more worship within us? Church, I want to tell you that if you are in a season of silence, when you feel like you are left on red by God, this is the most fertile soil to lay down prayers and to lay down your worship and to see it produce such beautiful fruit. And so I just want to challenge you, if you are in a season of silence, to continue to persist in your prayers before God. And lastly, it's not enough just to be desperate. Anyone can be desperate. I think we're all desperate for things, one thing or another. But what God is looking for is those who are convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that all of the answers and all of the hope that we are looking for can be found in him and him alone. He's looking for faith. And so I just want to end our time with this. If we could all just close our eyes right now. I believe that God wants to put a fresh fire in our hearts. He's calling us to pick up the cry again, to come back into the arena of bold and daring faith with a fresh resolve. At the end of the parable of the widow, Jesus asks, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Will he find us praying, or will we have lost heart and given up? For some of us here today, it's time to pick up your cry again. It's time to come back into the arena of daring and bold faith and persist in prayers that you've laid down. Don't just seek restoration. It's time to cry out for restitution. Warfare surrounds our prayers because the enemy knows how powerful it is when we connect with our creator. It's time to persist. God wants to take you from this past glory to the next glory. And he has more for you than you know. And for others of us today, we've been on the sidelines for too long. My faith isn't big enough. My voice isn't loud enough. My words aren't eloquent enough. If that's you, I'm speaking to you today. Don't sweat the small stuff. 99, hear me when I say this. That's the small stuff. God is calling us to the major leagues. Listen to this amazing question from Jesus that he asked each person in scripture today that swung from the fences. What do you want me to do for you? Do you know what you're desperate for? Don't be vague. Be specific. Be bold and persistent. Jesus is near. He's here right now. Don't let him pass without giving you an answer. Refuse to let him go until he blesses you. Jesus, our great intercessor, day and night you make intercession on our behalf. We thank you, we praise you, and we bless you and honor you today. 
God, we call upon your faithfulness and love towards your people. We pray for justice. We pray for restoration and restitution. God, our posture in prayer is this. We want to swing for the fences every single time because we trust in your faithfulness. We trust in your promises. We trust in your goodness. Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Stir it up in us again, God, a resolve to pick up the cry. Jesus, we join you in day and night, unrelenting intercession. We take on the adversary today who is fully aware of the power and the promises available to your sons and daughters in prayer. In the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit, We do not lose heart. We do not give up. We do not lose this cry. Get justice for me from my adversary. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.